Hello, readers. My name is Jason Jefferies, and this is Bookin', brought to you by Quail Ridge Books, Raleigh, North Carolina's trusted community bookstore. My guest today is C.J. Hauser. C.J.'s fiction has appeared in the Paris Review, Tin House, Narrative Magazine, Tri-Quarterly, Esquire, Third Coast, and the Kenyan Review. Her tremendous new novel, Family of Origin, is published by our friends at Anchor Books. C.J., welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's an honor to have you here. And, um... My first question for you is about um, the quotes at the beginning of your novel, um, Alluding to Mars. This is not a work of science fiction, is it? <laughs> Do you know, I, it's not a work of science fiction, but I did make up a movement of science, an island and a species of duck. And so there's a lot of fiction about science in it. So I'm not sure what that makes it in terms of genre. <laughs> right. Um, is um, Elsa the protagonist of your book? Is she going to go join the Space Force? She, <laughs> she really wants to go to Mars. And, and I was sort of obsessed with a couple of different programs that um, a few years back were sort of recruiting civilians. And by civilians, I suppose I just mean not astronauts or scientists mm-hmm. to go to Mars uh, for the colonization effort that they were touting they were going to have. There were going to be domes. There were going to be civilizations and it seemed quite unlikely to me at the at the time uh it seems unlikely to me again now but people really did sign up and people gave full interviews about why they wanted to leave the planet and leave their families behind and i just thought that was fascinating and so i wanted a character who would sort of help me explore and understand why a person would want to go to mars right absolutely and um cj i want to ask you about the opening page of your novel now family of origin uh you were describing a location watch landing where people go on vacation to forget about their lives and you specifically write that it is somewhere people go to forget about police brutality and white supremacy um can you talk about why you included police brutality and white supremacy specifically and how that may change how the opening of your novel reads a year after its release in 2020 yeah, that's a really great question. Um, so the passage is about all the things that people want to forget, uh, but the implication, I hope, of the paragraph is these are things that one should not forget and that one should be doing good work. Uh, by the end of the novel, Elsa sort of understands everyone has their good work in the world to do, um, and forgetting about problems does not make them go away. And so the list of things on that front page, especially white supremacy, especially police brutality, um, I, I think are issues that were issues before right now, before this spring, and that is why we are having this moment right now, because they have been issues for a long time, and they haven't been resolved, and people haven't done enough good work. Um, and so I guess I wanted to put that on the first page, because the, the idea of writing a book and a work of fiction, I don't know, when I was writing it, and right now again, um, is to focus on a certain set of characters and a certain set of problems. And I wanted the book to sort of acknowledge the wider world and everything that was happening in it uh, right away before I delved into, well, here's what this character is dealing with, but to sort of acknowledge the larger state of work that needs to be done first. 
Right. Thank you, CJ. And let's talk about uh, some of those characters and what they're dealing with now. Elsa and Nolan Gray are our protagonists, and they uh, do not fit in with the vacationing crowds in Watch Landing here in the beginning of this novel. Uh, They have traveled to Watch Landing because of the death of their father, Ian Gray, on Leaps Island, which is about an hour off of the coast of Watch Landing. Um, Ian moved to this island after a fall from academic grace to live with a group of people called Reversalists. Can you tell us about Reversalists, who they are and what they believe? Yeah, and so Reversalists are a a movement of scientists who I have invented. So if you if you Google them, you will not find them. Mm-hmm. But they are people who believe that the world is getting worse and that evolution is quote unquote, as they put it, going backward. Um, and there is a duck that they are studying and they believe that this duck is the proof that evolution has started to run backwards. But really the idea of that is just a metaphor for the kinds of things are backsliding, things are regressing and devolving and, and they don't really feel like, I don't know, like the world is as good as it used to be. It's a kind of pessimistic nostalgia uh, for a time that really didn't exist. And, and each of them, uh, the the siblings sort of find out when they talk to them, it's not like there's this unified, cogent scientific theory. It's just each of them is sort of focused on one thing that they think is the worst thing, that is the problem with the world these days. Um, and it's different for all of them. And they each have sort of differing, I'll put scientific and scare quotes, scientific theories uh, to sort of prove that their thing, their problem is the worst problem. And it sort of links back to that, um, that first page and that list of things and all of the struggles that are happening right now and all of the different reasons one might dismay instead of trying to do the good work we need to do. Right. Thank you, CJ. And what put this idea into your head to write about evolution reversing itself? Surely it was nothing about uh, current events or politics. Um, I think it was the idea, ideas about pessimism, ideas about hopefulness. And I wanted to think, I don't know, I wanted, I want to be an optimist, but I also want to look the world straight on. And and it feels very hard to do those things in one breath, I guess. And so I wanted to explore how a person can live in the world um, when it feels like there's an impossible amount of change that needs to happen and you do however much work you have to do and then you still feel like maybe it's not enough and so I was feeling that way Um, and I'm a teacher and so every year I have students who are sort of going out into the world and looking for their place and trying to figure out how they're going to spend their energy and their time Mm -hmm. and I want to make them hopeful and I want to tell them you're going to find something that speaks to you and you're going to make a difference about the things that you care about and it will change but then sometimes I felt sort of pessimistic and I was like, am I sending them off with something I really believe in or not? And so that was a that was a struggle I was having as a person. Mm-hmm. And what happens for me usually is that that works its way into the fiction. Right. What do you teach, CJ? I teach, I'm sorry, I should have said that. I teach English. I teach creative writing workshops and mm-hmm. I teach literature classes, uh, including one on the dysfunctional family novel, <laughs> um, dysfunctional going in quotes. Uh, and so obviously that's of interest to me as a reader as well as a writer yeah what's a reading list for your class on the dysfunctional family novel 
oh my gosh, so many things. So I, I vary it every semester because there are too many books I want to teach, mm. but some perennial favorites. Um, Kevin Wilson's The Family Fang. So we have sort of a dysfunctional in the sense that they're these zany performance artists who treat their children as if they're part of their um, work. And then I teach Jasmine Ward's Sing Unburied Sing, mm. uh, which involves ghosts and ghosts of the past and ghosts of history um, and is sort of a road trip novel in a way uh, with a mother and son. And there aren't that many mother-son novels out there when you think about it and mm. that's a gorgeous book um we've done the roundhouse by louise erdrick um and which is actually also sort of a mother-son book now that i think about it mm. um which is set on a reservation and there's a crime that's committed right on the border of um the tribal land and the state land and that becomes legally complicated and brings up all sorts of history and so they're books about family but they're also about how the circumstances surrounding a family life play a part in what it feels like for the people inside that family too right thanks for uh that reading list and how has your life as a teacher changed these last several months so i have been actually on sabbatical so Ah. i have a semester off to work on writing Mm. um but we're looking forward to the fall and and it's hard to know what that's going to look like and i hope i have students sitting around a seminar table again um fighting about literature which is my favorite thing Mm -hmm. uh but it's possible we're going to have to take that online we don't really know we're waiting for you know the state to tell us i guess Mm -hmm. so it will be different but i think that the experience of everyone reading the same book and then finding a space to talk about it whether it's online or around a table is a thing that always makes me feel really connected with other people and so i'm hoping that's the thing we'll preserve however it happens in the fall right on thank you cj um back to your book family of origin um shortly after their arrival on leaps island it is revealed that elsa uh believes that their father ian gray has killed himself and nolan believes that he died accidentally this more or less is what uh these protagonists have come to the island to investigate why do these two half siblings have such differing ideas about their father and what he was capable of yeah what a great question so i think um i think it has more to do with them in a way than it has to do with ian at times i think that elsa has reached a point where she's she's feeling pretty pessimistic about the world and that's why she's ready to go to bars um and is applying to be a colonist um and so for her to imagine that someone uh would sort of look at the world find it i don't know without hope and then kill themselves is is something that she doesn't have any trouble believing that's sort of the most likely outcome in her mind Mm. and for nolan he he wants to believe that his father was hopeful he wants to believe that his father saw good things in the world and possibilities for change in the world and if he didn't um that would ruin him and so nolan kind of can't even approach that idea um and i think too for for the the children even though they're grown uh over the course of the book it becomes a matter of did ian think that the next generation that they that his kids were sort of worthwhile was there anything they were going to do um that he believed in and whether or not he killed himself or it was an accident becomes a kind of verdict on that for them so a lot of it has to do with their own generational relationship to him as well 
Right. Thank you so much, CJ. Listeners, we are going to take a short break for a word from our sponsor, and then I will be right back with CJ Hauser. The Book and Podcast is sponsored by Libro FM Audiobooks. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore, Quail Ridge Books. You can pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But you'll be part of a much different story. That supports community. Listeners of Bookin can get a three month audiobook membership for the price of one. Go to Libro FM, that's L I B R O dot FM, and enter Bookin, B O O K I N, in the promo code space. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. I'm back with C.J. Hauser, author of Family of Origin, published by our friends at Anchor Books. C.J., I'm going to begin this segment with something that we talked about in the last one, because this book, Family of Origin, is one of those books that's both in its time when it was released just last year, and also obviously ahead of its time. Uh, In this novel, we flash back to San Francisco, where Nelson is day drinking with Janine, a modern dancer who is described as his girlfriend, more or less. Janine is in a dance troupe called Dance for Justice, and their most recent performance was called I Can't to breathe. Uh, This is something in your novel that is both very serious and somewhat satirical, but the phrase I can't breathe has taken on a new weight, or an additional weight, I should say. Uh, Can you talk about the inclusion of Janine in this performance of I Can't Breathe in Family of Origin? Yeah, I am so glad that you asked about that. Um, So, the dance troupe is doing a sort of, it's a work of art, but it's also a work of activism, and they're sort of speaking out against Eric Garner's death um, with the phrase, I can't breathe. And I sort of describe the performance that they're doing, which is a thing that, I don't know, I imagined, but I imagined that if I were a person who were actually there, um, it would be a really moving and powerful piece of art. Nolan does not see it that way. And Nolan sort of thinks that he sort of feels like there's nothing he can do in the world that will make any difference with issues as big and complicated as systemic racism and police brutality and white supremacy. And so he's like, why are you having a dance performance? Like, what is that going to do? And Janine sort of feels like, well, at least I did something. I have to do something. And I think that's a feeling that I'm certainly having these days as a white person trying to figure out how to be useful and trying to figure out what I can do. Um, I don't know, to unpack my own privilege and to be, I don't know, a positive force in whatever way I can. I'm like, if I'm doing donations, if I'm calling government offices, if I'm going to a protest on my village green, like, is that enough? Does that feel like enough? Does it matter how it feels? Like, what is it that I can actually do that is meaningful? And what is the work that needs to be done? And so, I don't know, that's an important moment in the book for me and Nolan actually at the end of the book um, he's sort of thinking that maybe he and Janine will break up and then she calls him from perform- from her next Dance for Justice performance at the end and he has sort of a moment of listening to all the sounds of the rehearsal in the background and enjoying them and in my mind that's a moment where he's sort of like you know what it's something doing something is better than doing nothing 
Right, and um, carrying this aspect of Nolan's personality um, out into the world outside of the novel, uh, do you think that this outlook that he had at the beginning of the novel, that um, there's something naive and futile about trying to actually enact influence and produce change, uh, do you think this is something that's changing for people in the world right now? Do you think we're at a tipping point? God, I hope so. I mean, I, I, I would have hoped people felt that way already, but if they didn't, I hope... I hope that it is as inspirational to other people as it is to me to see some of the positive action that's happening right now and to see people in the streets and to see, I don't know, some initial good steps happening. Um, no one wants it to look this way or to feel this way or to be as awful as it is right now, but I think it is, as a result, creating kind of an exciting moment. And so, I don't know, that's the best that I can say about that, that I hope good is coming and that mm -hmm. if people keep showing up every day and don't just take this as one brief moment, then maybe some good work will happen. Thank you, CJ. I hope so, too. Um, in this same early chapter of your novel, this initial San Francisco uh, flashback chapter, there's a good deal of information about the San Francisco Giants, uh, <laughs> their ballpark, their announcers, etc. Are you a baseball fan? And perhaps more importantly, are you a Giants fan? So I'm a baseball fan, but I'm actually a Mets fan. Ah. Um, and I had a kind of crisis moment where I was like am I going to write about someone who's a baseball fan but not a Met fan but mm. it didn't make sense it didn't make sense for Nolan to be a Met fan so alas I had to go another route mm. um, there's actually a schism in my family when the uh, Giants left New York half mm. of the family became San Francisco Giants fans and the other half defected to the then uh, the innovated of Mets uh, at that time but I love baseball and I mm. think it was important to me uh, the metaphor of the Giants um, so Nolan's mother supports a Tokyo baseball club called the Giants and then his father supports uh, the San Francisco Giants obviously and so that was a big part of their origin story as a couple in my mind and so that's another reason that the team felt important to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great. Thanks. I used to, I lived in the Bay Area for many years and was able to walk to the Giants ballpark. So um, that part of the Such story. Such a nice park. Isn't it though? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that hit home with me. Um, continuing on the sports theme for a moment, Nolan was named after Nolan Ryan, not because Nolan Ryan pitched for one of his parents' favorite teams, but because of a video game. Um, mm -hmm. Is this a real game that you played? I'm a bit of a video game fanatic myself. I used to work for a research university with a big game lab that I did programming for. Um, and I'm also a baseball fanatic, and I do not remember this game, uh, though I was late to the Super Nintendo, thanks to the Sega Genesis. But was it real? Yes, it was real. Um, it was pretty... It's pretty old, mm -hmm. and I will confess that the timing of when they're playing the game isn't quite right for mm. the actual game but I wanted it in there so badly I did it anyway mm -hmm. um, but it is a real game called Nolan Ryan Super Stadium I believe there's there are two different names for how it was released in Japan and in the States mm -hmm. um, but I love the idea of things that um, 
it can bring you together experientially. And so even though no, uh, Ian and Keiko are, are pretty different people in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. um, mostly their, their sort of attitudes towards life uh, in terms of Ian being so serious and Keiko being a little more fun-loving. Um, the fact that they grew up playing this shared game together and having this shared love of the same sport, uh, that was a, a thing that I wanted to use to sort of spark how they came to fall in love with each other. Nice. Thank you so much, CJ. Um, There's a lot more to talk about in this book, but I don't want to give too much more away. As a reminder to our listeners, you can order Family of Origin from www.quailridgebooks.com with free shipping. Uh, CJ, before I let you go, I do want to talk about Esther, uh, a character who was fired from her position teaching environmental sciences uh, for a couple of things, one being her alarmist warnings about the bufflehead ducks. Um, Can you talk about her perceived issues with her students, the issue that they couldn't handle going outside uh, because of video games and allergies, uh, thus making her job teaching environmental sciences nearly impossible? And of course, CJ, we are talking under the cloud of the coronavirus when many people have been ordered to stay inside. Um, Do you think kids have problems identifying with the environmental sciences because of video games and allergies? And uh, do you think COVID-19 will alienate children from the environmental sciences even more? Wow. So, so I don't think that Mm -hmm. Esther definitely thinks that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I sort of used her character as a vehicle for the kinds of things that I've heard. I've heard people say, um, I've heard teachers say, I've heard magazine articles Mm -hmm. say, Mm -hmm. um, and I think there's a lot of talk about younger generations in this case I'm talking about millennials but Mm. I think there is a lot of talking about the millennial generation in terms of I don't know them not valuing the same things that previous generations did and I think it's a bum rap I don't think it's actually true Mm. I mean I have friends who I don't know are devoted video game players and also they love hiking and you don't have to love both of those things either Mm. and I think it's ridiculous to sort of give an entire generation that kind of a wrap but the question you ask about COVID is is really interesting and will it change the way we feel about the environment um and I guess we're gonna have to wait and see um I think that as a lot of our social interactions as we start to sort of come out of quarantine um, are going to be outside because it does seem like that's the safest thing to do or at least according to what I have read uh, which seems to change a lot but I, I wonder if that will be a thing that sort of shapes the way we have our social interactions um, the only sort of I don't know, social thing that I have really done since this all started is a socially distant bonfire where you have to bring your own chair, you have to bring your own beer, we're all going to sit around it sort of six plus feet apart. And that's that's not a way I had interacted with my peers before. And now all of a sudden, this is what we do. So maybe there will be ways that it brings us closer to the outside world in ways that, I don't know, we're more siloed in our houses or apartments, depending on where we live and what kinds of environments we have access to. All right. Thank you so much, CJ. Time will tell. Um, Listeners, I have been speaking with CJ Hauser, author of Family of Origin, published by our friends at Anchor, a book both of and ahead of its time, a fantastic read that is available with free shipping from Quail Ridge Books. CJ, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me.
Once again, I would like to thank CJ Hauser for joining me. Copies of Family of Origin can be ordered with free shipping at www.quailridgebooks.com. I would also like to thank our sponsor, Libro.fm Audiobooks. Please navigate over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space to get three months of audiobooks for the price of one and support your favorite independent bookstore in the process. My name is Jason Jefferies, and this has been Bookin'.